0: Hello and welcome to Mimble Wimble, the Harry Potter podcast. I'm Aishwarya. I'm Prashantini. And this is Season 3, Episode 3, Hermione Visits Hogsmead. In the last episode, we covered a little bit of Chapter 6, Talons and Tea Leaves. In this episode, we're going to finish Chapter 6, cover Chapter 7, The Bogart and the Wardrobe, and Chapter 8, Flight of the Fat Lady. First, let's begin with a summary. It's Hagrid's first class teaching care
1: of magical creatures and it's off to a rocky start. Hagrid shows the class a new half-horse, half-bird creature called a Hippogriff and gets Harry to even ride on one. But trouble comes in the form of Malfoy, who taunts the creature and gets injured. His father would surely hear about this. Two days later, Malfoy joins the class for potions and taunts Harry for not going after Sirius Black, who's rumoured to be sighted not too far from Hogwarts. Snape bullies Neville and takes away points from him because his shrinking potion did exactly what it was supposed to do, only thanks to Hermione. However, Neville's spirit is lifted by Professor Lupin, whose first class goes much better than Hagrid's. He introduces the class to a shape-shifting entity that feeds on fear, called a Boggart. Everyone gets to tackle the Boggart, except Harry, who worries that Lupin seeing him faint at the sight of a Dementor might have led him to think that Harry was a coward. But later on, Lupin clarifies that that isn't the case and that he did not want the bogger to turn into Voldemort in his class. He also sees Lupin drink a mysterious potion made by Snape. It's Oliver Woods last year in Hogwarts and Harry is determined to get the Quidditch cup for him this year. Harry is also bummed because everyone gets to go to Hogsmeade during Halloween but him. After Hermione and Ron are back from Hogsmeade and an excellent feast is had, the Gryffindors discover that the portrait of the fat lady was attacked by Sirius Black.
0: Before we start talking about the Care of Magical Creatures class that our favorite group attends, I just want to note that the sentence, Ron and Hermione weren't speaking to each other, will soon become a very familiar sentence. I feel like this particular book is where their very contentious relationship gets to a start properly because they bicker a lot. That's
1: exactly what I noted in the beginning of the section that we have chosen for this episode, Ron and Hermione are not talking to each other because Hermione thinks divination is rubbish and Ron thinks that Hermione only dislikes divination because she is she does not like to be bad at anything.
0: Yeah. And then later on over these chapters, they argue again Yeah, about something else. This book is just basically a series of fights between Ron and Hermione with Harry in the background not knowing what to do. And in these sections
1: alone, we have at least three instances where Harry notes that they're not talking to each other now.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but right now, let's go to our care of magical creatures class. Of course, they are paired with Slytherins for their first class with Hagrid. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't get paired with like the Ravenclaws or Hufflepuffs. It always has to be Slytherin. I wonder if J.K. Rowling makes it a point to mention the classes where they are paired with Slytherins always in the book, or if the Gryffindors spent an awful lot of time being paired with Slytherins for classes.
1: They are paired up with Slytherins for all the problematic classes like potions and care of magical creatures. Surprisingly, when it's divination or transfiguration, the Gryffindors are alone.
0: I wonder why. And... They are not paired up with anyone for defense against the Dark Arts either, right? Yeah, I think the only classes in which they are paired up are
1: Care of Magical Creatures and Potions. Mm -hmm. Care of Magical Creatures kind of makes sense because
0: it's an outdoor class. It's also an elective. So maybe everybody who picked that elective has the same class together. Mm, That's possible. But Potions is definitely not
1: an outdoor class. (laughs) Yeah. And Malfoy seems to be there in Potions an awful lot.
0: He's actually in every Potions class till the end of the series.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, correct. I think maybe Potions class is also set up in a way that maybe it's so spacious that it can accommodate everybody. It's possible, yeah. I think Hagrid's choice of book Mm -hmm. reflects his philosophy on animals so perfectly. So animals may look dangerous, but if you know how to handle them, they will not bite you. (laughs) But instead of feeling bad that no one was able to open the book, he should have used this as a teaching moment. Given that Hagrid already thinks that he doesn't deserve being a teacher and given that Malfoy is bullying him, I think it's too much pressure and he buckles. Yeah,
0: that's true. For me, the most noteworthy sentence in that particular description about the book was that some people managed to cram it inside tight bags. How did they do that? What is a tight bag? Small bag, I assume. (laughs) How did they manage to cram a biting book inside a bag? That is truly like, I'm amazed. But... Honestly, I really like Hagrid. But I have to kind of agree with Malfoy about the whole comment he makes about the Care of Magical Creatures class. He says, this place is going to the dogs. Because the way Hagrid handles this particular class, it does not look good for Harry's education for that year. Between like Trelawney and Hagrid, things don't look good at all. I think that Hagrid's class was
1: much more interesting than Trelawney's class. I mean, even as just a subject, him bringing this dangerous creature is questionable. But it is a very interesting thing to study.
0: I agree. As far as being interesting is concerned, Hagrid is definitely winning this race. But the thing is, he wasn't really prepared for having a bunch of teenagers around potentially dangerous creatures. Yeah. Which is what makes me question the whole thing. Yeah. Just
1: trusting that teenage kids will hang on to every word he says was kind of foolish because in the end, Malfoy gets attacked Because he doesn't listen to Hagrid when he says that hippogriffs are very volatile creatures, like they're proud. And Malfoy insults them and that's the reason he gets attacked. But you cannot trust a 13-year-old to be polite to an animal, right? Exactly. I mean, you cannot trust adults, but when you're dealing with adults, you're not responsible for what they do.
0: Yeah, I agree. I also can't believe that after Malfoy was attacked, Hagrid just leaves the entire class with the creatures that attack the student and goes... Oh my god, yes, I did not think about it. They just turn around and go back to the class. But who took care of the hippogriffs after that? It's never mentioned. It's not like there was just one like in the movie. There were many. Yeah, but speaking of the movie, I actually really like the movie sequence with the hippogriff. Even though, you know, the flight is completely out of character. Like they fly over the lake. Harry skims the surface. (laughs) But even though it is so out of character, I actually really enjoyed the sequence. It's very dramatic. Out of character
1: for you to enjoy the movie or for out of character for Harry? Out of
0: character meaning it is not canon compliant. Uh, okay. But I do think that
1: flying is like an ultimate fantasy, especially in a visual medium.
0: Like Take whatever
1: fantasy that you know, there's always like a flying sequence. You can see it in Avatar. You can see it in all the superhero movies. Every time there's a first flight... It's really special. There's something about defying gravity that's so, I don't know, fantastic that it is a part of every magical fantasy land. And so funny that Harry flying on the hippogriff is given so much importance when Harry has been flying from year one on broomsticks. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But it's a really good scene. It is a really good scene.
0: So I was thinking about what you said when we were recording the last episode about some of the actors of the Harry Potter series going the extra mile and making their characters be very dramatic, like the villains are dramatic and Michael Gamble makes Dumbledore more dramatic. I was thinking about this particular movie and as much as I'd hate to admit it, in this the things that they choose to dramatize are not the characters but situations like this. They took the hippogriff flight and made it dramatic and that's still fine with me because... Yeah. It's a hippogriff, I don't care. But they didn't take, like, say, Sirius Black and make him, like, extra. And they didn't take Lupin and make him extra. (laughs) They're still, like, human relatable characters. Even when they do things that are not in the book, I don't hate them for doing it.
1: But before that, let's go to the beginning of the hippogriff scene. After. Hagrid is kind of disappointed that nobody was able to read the book. He finds it hard to get back to the class, but he remembers that he has a plan for the class, at least according to him. And he hopes that the class would receive an interesting creature just the way he would. So he brings out the hippogriffs. I love that the description of the hippogriffs in the books is just so accurate. Accurate in the sense that you can exactly imagine the image that she was trying to put in our minds. And that kind of translated really well on the screen.
0: I completely agree with you. I also think that the illustrated edition does a really good job with this. They are very pretty. Oh no, I forgot to go through the illustrated edition for this one. I'm actually kind of sad that we didn't go through the illustrated edition for the previous set of chapters that we discussed because there is a very nice scene of Lupin confronting the Dementor in the carriage.
1: There's just like a very shabby looking Lupin in front of a ghostly Dementor, right?
0: Yeah, with fire in his hand. Ah, Yeah, I remember seeing
1: those images as soon as I got the book. (laughs) So, I think this is the first time Malfoy says, my father will hear about it, right?
0: Yes, I think so. And soon it becomes his catchphrase.
1: Yeah. I think it's a very movie thing though. In the movie, he says it a lot.
0: Yeah. And he does a really good job of saying it also. That I think fans instantly took to it. Yeah. He literally like spits it out in the movie. I think Tom Felton does contempt really well. Yeah, he does. So
1: the hippogriffs are kind of scary looking, but when Hagrid asks if the class wants to pet the hippogriff, everyone backs out, but the trio, Harry, Ron and Hermione.
0: I think this is put it really well in the movie. Yeah. Harry just turns around and everybody else will be three steps behind him and he'll just be the only person standing there. See, the thing is in the books, it's always all
1: three of them who are trying to save people. It's always the three of them who are being heroic. But in the movie, it's just Harry all the time. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine Hermione and Ron walking back from danger? No. But I like the moment between Hermione and Ron. (laughs) Yeah. There's an awkward hand touch. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that was before the seventh book came out when people were still like, Who will Harry end up with? That was the scene that people used to justify that Ron and Hermione would be the couple at the end of the series.
1: I think the directors really wanted to confuse people because at the end of the second book, there is a moment between Hermione and Harry where they hug each other, right?
0: But there's also an awkward handshake between
1: Ron and Hermione. (laughs) That's true. But it was also funny to think that these hippogriffs have a very human sense of manners. You should not offend them.
0: But didn't you think it was kind of weird that Hagrid says you have to wait for the hippogriff to make the first move. But technically, the human is the one that makes the first move. They walk, bow and wait. So they make the first move. But Hagrid says no hippogriffs have to make the first move. It's like you'll be stuck in limbo forever wondering should you approach or should you not approach. It is very quaint though that the hippogriffs bow to you. Yeah,
1: it was fun but which animal would do that unless they are trained explicitly to do that? But only a person who completely trusts Hagrid would be willing to confront such a huge beast. It's really admirable that Harry has the trust. But I don't know if Hagrid deserves it. I agree with you. Especially considering what happens with Malfoy. Yeah. And the last time Hagrid encouraged Harry and Ron to get in touch with another large creature, they almost died. Yeah. Bad Hagrid. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, nothing happens to Harry and he also gets to ride on the hippogriff. It's described to have 12 foot wings and that's enormous. I know. What's enormous? (laughs) Double my size. And that's just one wing. (laughs) Once Harry gets back on the land oh by the way the the flying sequence is described as being really uncomfortable in the book but in the movie he looks
0: like he's having so much fun
2: yeah
1: yeah
0: he's whooping and
2: all yes
1: (laughs) so it's a very uncomfortable ride and it's just a very short ride right he comes back to the paddock really quickly and most students are now braver they all like pet different hippogriffs Neville obviously has trouble trying to find a hippogriff to pet. And obviously, Malfoy wants to write the one that Harry wrote on. Yeah, of course. So he approaches the same one and he verbally insults
0: the hippogriff to which it reacts. I find that really odd. Don't you think it's extremely intelligent? Because he's not aggressive physically, he's just verbally refers to it as a great big brute and the hippogriff understands him and immediately attacks.
2: (laughs) This is very easy. I knew it must have been if Potter could do it. I bet you're not dangerous at all, are you? Are you, you ugly great brute?
0: That's amazing. That hippogriff is very
1: smart. Yeah, if he had plucked its feathers or something, I get it. But it's just a description of what that animal is. And it's so annoyed by that. Yeah. It's almost as smart as Khaleesi's dragons. (laughs) Everything becomes really blurry after that. They wrap up the class and Malfoy yells out that he's going to die. He's being taken to the hospital wing. Harry, Ron and Hermione know that Malfoy is completely okay. And that Madame Pomfrey can mend him in like seconds and they are very worried that this will be a big black mark on Hagrid and it'll be a big problem for him I love that they're so concerned that they go visit him that evening even though I mean it's not very late but it's still a little unsafe what with the dementors around they care enough to go visit him and they console him it's a very tiny sequence but I really like that sequence yeah
0: even though Hagrid's like dead drunk during their whole interaction I really like that sequence too And once he sobers up, he suddenly starts yelling
1: at them for being out so late. I really like that.
2: What do you think you're doing, eh? You're not to go wandering around after dark, Harry. And you two, netting him. Come on. I'm taking you all back up to school. And don't let me catch you walking down to see me after dark again. I'm not worth that.
0: Hagrid doesn't yell at Harry much, now that I think about it. Yeah.
1: I mean, this is not... Technically yelling at Harry, right?
0: Sort of. It's in capital letters. I'm going to count it as yelling. (laughs) Let's move on to chapter 7, the boggart in the wardrobe. This is one of my most favorite chapters in the whole book. Because finally, we have a competent defense against the dark arts teacher. With a minor flaw, but we'll get to it. This is so much fun. But, you know, I'm skipping ahead as usual. Before we get to the actual defense against the dark arts class, I just want to note that Malfoy misses classes for what? Three days? Yeah. I can't see Madame Pomfrey just letting him get away with this. That's
1: exactly what I've noted.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Do you think he was just like hiding out in his dormitory or something?
1: I think he was using his influence.
0: Whatever he was doing... He clearly seems to work on Pansy Parkinson, yeah, who's simpering all around him and being like, are you okay? Like, it's clear that he's play-acting, but she might be the only person who hasn't seen that yet.
1: And I like that he timed his arrival so that he can come at the potions class and torture these two people.
0: I know. I really love that interaction between Malfoy, Harry and Ron, where Snape makes Ron take the roots that he mutilated for Malfoy. I don't know why. But I really like that description of Harry having to skin Malfoy's shrivel fig.
2: Harry skinned the shrivel fig as fast as he could and flung it back across the table at Malfoy without speaking. Malfoy was smirking more broadly than ever.
0: For some reason, it's like stuck in my head. Yeah, the throwing it back is the funny part. Whenever I think about this particular book, those are some of the incidents that quickly flash in my head. Like it's not even a significant incident, but I remember it very clearly.
1: I always like the tiny interactions between members in the classroom and not just Malfoy. Even the interaction between Hermione and Neville, Neville and the rest of the Gryffindors, all these tiny things, they add up. The plot keeps going on, but these little things makes it feel like the characters are more lived in. The classes and Hogwarts, entire thing is real. Yeah, that's true.
0: (laughs) But I also think that I remember this interaction because just the idea of someone skinning something with loathing and then throwing it at another person is just hilarious for me.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking of, you know, skinning like a beetroot for some reason. Yes. Shivel fig is round in
0: my head. So I don't think of it as a beetroot. I think of it as, I am not certain what this vegetable is called in English, so you're going to have to help me out here right now. Okay. I think of it as skinning a sepangaranga for some reason. Some kind of a potato. A potato seems about right, yeah, right? Yeah, it's a potato relative. Yeah. <laughs> he skins a potato relative and he throws it
1: at Malfoy. And I like that this is happening during double portions because double classes are the worst. I know. Double classes, especially the the more serious ones like double chemistry or double maths, they are usually the worst. I like the subject, but I can't take double of it at the same time.
0: I know. My least favorite double class was double physics. I could even take it in math because, you know, math, you at least have the time to like work out problems and stuff. Mm. Physics, you just have to listen <laughs> forever. <laughs> we used to have this thing in college. It was like triple classes, like labs would be like a solid block of time. Like it would be the full afternoon, or the full evening, or the full morning. That was true hell. Really, I like that. I mean, labs are labs. Actually, you were a civil engineer. I studied computer <laughs> science. What do you
1: think we did in our labs? I don't know what you're trying to imply here, because that sounds like I had a harder time than you did.
0: No, you had a more fun time than I did. My labs are all sitting in front of a computer. <laughs> All day long. In a place that smelled like socks. Oh, yes. I remember the stinky computer labs. Actually, yeah.
1: Smelling like soil is better than smelling like socks. Yeah, I did enjoy my labs more than you did.
0: Socks. It's the smell of socks that you'll never forget. <laughs> double classes are the worst. So, Harry, Ron and Malfoy are right next to each other during double potions. And I love how
1: deliciously, childishly evil Malfoy is. I know. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> came with a plan like he can use the sling in his hand to get his way And the first thing he'll do is make harry and ron do his jobs for him i'm sure that he planned it
0: yeah he even sets up near them right so that yeah. he can get them to do like his cutting work because he's there he manages to overhear most of their conversation we find out that lucius malfoy knows about the matter as malfoy claimed he would and that he's going to take it up with the board of governors I like Hagrid where it actually makes sense that Malfoy's father complained. I mean, Mm. he was attacked in a class by a creature. So the teacher failed at their duty. Unpopular opinion, sure. I'm just surprised more parents didn't complain.
1: I mean, parents complain for less. And I like that when he is narrating this whole sequence to Harry and Ron, he says father has a lot of influence in the ministry. It's targeted at Ron because Ron's father is in the ministry, but he does not have as much influence that ought to hurt.
0: I, oh, I didn't really pick up on that when I was
1: reading the book. So, in the class, they are making shrinking solution, right? It's like shrinking potion.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Neville's having a really tough time with the shrinking potion. And when
1: Snape asks Neville a question, I think Hermione answers and Snape retorts saying,
2: I don't remember asking you to show off, Miss Granger.
1: I love that insult. Yeah. Brutal. <laughs> on some level, Hermione does like to show off.
0: You know, I agree with you. Because Hermione never waits for other people to answer before volunteering the answer. She is the first person to answer no matter what. And she wants to be the first person to answer.
1: And she wants to answer questions like even questions that just pop up in her own head before anybody else does. The way she looks at Lavender's Pet dying. I mean, you need not dissect all this information right there when there's like a grieving pet owner.
0: Wait, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's not go over there. I have some thoughts about that as well. Sure, 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 sure. Let's get back to the potions class. Snape makes Neville redo the potion and tells him that he's going to test it on Neville's pet at the end of the class. And Neville immediately turns around to Hermione and he's like, help me. I love that Hermione mutters instructions out of the corner of her mouth the whole time.
1: Look at Hermione. From being a very strict no rule breaker in book one. She's now become a person who's muttering instructions even after she was expressly forbidden by Snape
0: from helping Neville. I know. Her mind has become such a rule breaker. I'm very proud. Yeah. Good influence. Yes. So, while Neville is frantically trying to fix his potion, Seamus leans over to unexpectedly give Harry and Ron some gossip. It's about Sirius Black. Yeah, he's been spotted very close to Hogwarts. And this gives Malfoy the opportunity to let it slip that he knows something about Sirius Black that Harry and Ron don't know. I think at that point,
1: he doesn't know that these guys don't know about it.
0: I think it becomes fairly clear. At the end of the interaction,
1: sure. But his first question is, are you planning to go after him? Yeah. Yeah. I think at this point, any smart person would have known that there is something fishy about it. I mean, Harry
0: thinks about it, but not too much. And Ron completely dismisses it. Yeah. I was actually kind of surprised that Ron would dismiss it so thoroughly. I think Ron has just been in the Wizarding
1: society for so long that everything is common knowledge for him. And if he doesn't know something, it's not real.
0: I think it illustrates the parenting styles of Lucius Malfoy and the Weasleys a lot because... Lucius Malfoy has clearly not shielded Malfoy from pretty much anything, whereas the Weasleys have made a conscious decision to shield Ron from this particular bit of history.
1: Lucius Malfoy is just trying to raise another Lucius Malfoy, whereas the Weasleys are trying to raise children. Yeah. In influential families, information is money. So they need to educate their child on everything that they know.
0: I also wouldn't put it past Lucius Malfoy to have specifically thought about everything that he knows about Harry Potter And told Malfoy the minute Malfoy tells him that he and Harry are in the same year.
1: Yeah, as soon as Sirius Black escaped, he would have been like, Son, there is a file called Sirius Black in my study. Go bring it. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure that's what happened. So two people at two different times have told Harry not to go after Sirius Black. Or in Malfoy's case, he's taunting Harry about not going after him for so long. Maybe if Hermione had known about it, she would have put things together by that time.
0: Yeah, Harry just doesn't care enough. (laughs) Okay, that's unfair to Harry. Harry just ignores what the two of them say because it's not relevant at the moment.
1: No, Harry does wonder about it. And that's exactly what he's thinking when Ron notices that Hermione disappeared at some point and appeared at the beginning of the stairs, holding like a bunch of books. Ron is noticing that Hermione is being really fishy, but Harry is so taken by this other news that he's not worrying
0: about Hermione at all. But that's completely in line with Harry's character. He never worries about Hermione. At least in this particular book. Unless something really bad happens to Hermione. He's like, she'll tell us. She'll
1: be able to figure it out. At some point. Yeah. So at the end of the day, Neville's shrinking potion actually works because Hermione helped Neville. But obviously Snape is not dumb. He knows that that happened. So he takes points off Gryffindor. Obviously that makes Ron really mad. The section we've chosen, Ron is just generally mad at people. Yeah. Yeah. First he's mad at Snape, then he's mad at McGonagall, then he's mad at Hermione. Yeah.
0: I'd also like to note that in the illustrated edition, it looks like Snape is very tenderly holding Trevor in his hand. You know, like they're having a secret (laughs) heart-to-heart conversation. (laughs) It's funny. And not actually depicting the scene where Snape is basically feeding Trevor a potentially poisonous potion. Yeah.
1: Particularly cruel, even for Snape. Yes. I know that there is no real danger because Snape is a potions master. And uh, even if something happens to the toad, he'll be able to make it okay. But still, to torture a child with his pet. I know. Just Dumbledore's bad decision. It's just a parade, okay? There's like Hagrid, then there's Snape, then there's Trelawney.
0: Yeah, but it turns out that Dumbledore doesn't make bad decisions all the time because he managed to hire Lupin. Which brings us to the best part of this chapter, the defense against the dark arts class. I do think that it might still be a bad decision. It's questionable.
1: It is in line. It's a good bad decision. Have you been cryptic enough? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, we'll discuss it at the end of the book.
0: Yes. At least right now, in this particular chapter, Lupin is great. The first thing he says when he comes into the classroom, he asks them to put their books away. Not because he thinks books are useless, but because it's a practical lesson. He takes them on a field trip to the staff room and on the way there, he has a scene with Peeves where Peeves is really rude to him. And instead of reacting in some kind of childish or absurd manner, he uses a spell to annoy Peeves. I don't think this spell is ever used again and I'm not really certain what the purpose of it is. Is it a spell specifically designed to stick chewing up someone's nose? You'll never know. It's a great scene that really endears the class to him. I like the line that immediately follows this incident.
2: They set off again, the class looking at shabby Professor Lupin with increased respect.
0: Yeah, and the respect really doesn't dim when they get to the staff room and Snape is there. Snape is particularly awful. I was actually surprised at how mean he was to Neville. For once, Harry
1: is not the only person being bullied by Snape.
0: Yeah. Actually, I feel like the focus has really shifted from the first book, where Harry is the first person to get bullied by Snape in the class. But Neville has quickly become the target rather than Harry. Harry is just some person that Snape picks on occasionally, but Neville is the general target. Yeah. I really like that Lupin takes this whole thing in stride. I think just by pointing out Neville to Lupin, Snape has made sure that Lupin will do whatever it takes To make Neville feel better about himself. Initially, he looks like the shabby person.
1: But the first thing he does is he chases the Dementors away. He gives them chocolate, which is Madame Pomfrey approved method of feeling better after a Dementor attack. Next thing you know, he's actually teaching them defense against the Dark Arts, which has not happened for two years. Then he defies Snape. There's just so many things. It's like this character is being built block by block to be a likable character. And the underdog.
0: And you immediately want to root for him. I completely agree with you. So the reason that Lupin has brought them to the classroom is because there's the Bogart in the wardrobe. So some people on Reddit think that the, the title of this chapter is probably a reference to the Lion, the Witch and the wardrobe. But I can't really see that myself because the wardrobe doesn't lead you anywhere. There's only something inside the wardrobe. And this is a really interesting magical creature. We don't really see a lot of the Bogart in the Harry Potter series. I don't think I've ever encountered another type of magical creature in fiction before like this. I was surprised to discover that Bogarts do exist outside of Harry Potter. But they are generally household spirits. There are a few fairy tales about Bogarts. Including a particularly amusing one about a Bogart and a farmer. That I will link to in the description for this particular episode. But J.K. Rowling's Bogart is unique. Because it takes the shape of... A person's worst fear. So it's sort of like a ghost, a poltergeist, but also your worst fear. Because a ghost cannot be your worst fear as well. It can be scary, but not your worst fear. Time and again, J.K. Rowling makes human
1: qualities manifest externally. Or in other words, she makes it more tangible. So right from the sorting hat, the sorting hat literally reads into your mind to know which house you should be in. And then you move on to the Gryffindor sword in the second book, which is like a manifestation of bravery. Like if you're brave and if you're a true Gryffindor, you will get the sword. And then there's the Bogart now, which can read your mind again and turn into your worst fear. And there's also the Mirror of Erised, which can read into your mind, read your deepest desire. I really love this pattern that she has of making our feelings and our qualities
0: that's just inside our heads manifest into something external. This is a little bit of a spoiler, but we can even extend this to include Dementors, which make you feel depressed. J.K. Rowling herself said that the inspiration for Dementors was depression. So she literally takes some of the worst emotions that humans have to feel and manifests them as monsters that people have to face and conquer. You're literally conquering your emotions. (laughs) It's a really cool thing.
1: Especially about Bogarts. I like that they turn into someone's worst fear. When you're trying to discover why there's some rattling noise coming out of a place, you're pretty sure to think about your worst fear just when you're about to open the door, right? I don't know, actually.
0: I think that if there was a rattling noise coming from a cupboard near me, the idea of not knowing what is inside it is 10x more scarier than anything inside it. Really? You lack imagination. I really do. Because I watch horror movies and I'm able to sleep at night really well after that.
1: Whenever I hear something, I can imagine like 10 things. So when I'm just about to open the door, I imagine like the worst thing that can happen. And if there's a Bogart, it can easily read my mind and turn itself into that.
0: When you put it like that, that sounds ridiculously scary. I see your point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did wonder though, why Bogarts feel the need to make their presence felt. That's a weird question. That's too deep. In the Pottermore entry for Bogarts, J.K. Rowling makes it a point to note that Bogarts are not alive, and I assume she means they are not alive to indicate that they do not need to consume anything to be alive or to stay alive. Right? They don't. It's not like they feed on human emotions. Maybe they do. She specifically says they are curious magical creatures that are not alive. So it's not like they feed on your fear, and that's how they are alive, and that's how they become more powerful or anything. They just are. And when a Bogart dies, other Bogarts take its place. There are more Bogarts. Do they reproduce? We don't know what causes them, or it's super vague, the Pottermore entry. When I was reading this particular chapter, I was like, why do they feel the need to make their presence felt? Interesting question. Maybe it gets really boring in that cramped space, but.
1: The fact that you don't know their motivation is the reason that's scary, right? That's true. Honestly, everything wants attention
0: yeah even bogarts in the wardrobe
1: and i really like that the best way to get rid of a bogart is imagining the most hilarious thing that can happen to the scariest thing that you can think of
0: i know it's actually so simple you laugh at your fears yeah that's it that's what gets rid of a bogart this whole chapter is a metaphor yes <laughs> after neville tackles
1: his amazing snape plus neville's grandma image everyone gets a go at Tackling their worst fears. I like the whole sequence because it's really interesting to note what each form turns into, right?
0: Yeah, Parvati is scared of like zombie mummies. Is that real in the Harry Potter universe? So Parvati, as far as we know, is a pure blood wizard kid, right? So she must be exposed to muggle fiction if she's scared of mummies. We do not find out enough about Parvati books. (laughs) Probably. Actually, mummies are also fine. There
1: is someone who's scared of a rat going round and round, chasing its tail.
0: And then it becomes a bloody eyeball. Yeah, I identify with that person. Yeah, me too. I identify strongly with that person.
1: I was thinking of what my bogart would turn into. I thought fear was an abstract concept and that it can take shape of many things. Then I read this line about the rat and I was like, yeah, it'll turn into a rat.
0: <laughs> I don't know why, but when you said fear is an abstract concept, it could become many things. I imagine it would become a modern art painting or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Unless you're scared of modern art. (laughs) Also, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the movies, in this sequence, the Bogart becomes a clown, right?
1: Yeah, a very scary clown.
0: But this isn't present in the books. Do you think this is... Hollywood just being like, everybody is scared of clowns, so we would put a clown.
1: Yeah, I think so. It's making it easy for people to understand what's scary. I guess. That clown that comes in the movie is scary.
0: Yeah, and it's like a jack-in-the-box type clown. It's pretty scary.
1: And I like that our favorite spider reappears, even for a brief second. Yes. But Ron's spider actually turns into like a
0: spider without legs. I feel like that's more scary. Yeah, I didn't really think that was funny. I thought the only thing that was actually funny was Dean's hand getting caught in a mousetrap. The only thing that I found funny was Snape turning into Neville's grandmother. Okay, that was pretty funny. And I think this is especially funny in the movie because of Alan Rickman's expression. Yeah. Yeah, and the
1: scene is beautifully shot. There's some jazz music going on. Like a very fun class. I wanted to be in that class. It's really fun. And of course, Malfoy is there in that class in the movie. He's like, this class is ridiculous. As soon as he comes in, Lupin just knows so much about so many people. He knows about Neville. And he has this kind of familiarity with Harry. And I always like to see how every new teacher reacts to Hermione. And Lupin has this perfect reaction. He's not surprised. At the same time, he's not dismissive. I think he's just done his research. Yeah. That's cool. That's a very good sign compared to the previous defense against the Dark Arts teacher who was only obsessed with himself. Yeah, definitely.
0: So Harry isn't the only person who Lupin doesn't let face the bogart. Hermione is the other person. And I wonder why. Do you think he did it just so that he could be like Harry and Hermione both answered questions so he can give them points and he didn't want to single Harry out as the only person who doesn't get to face the bogart. No, I don't think that much thinking went into it. It's just that
1: he wanted to block Harry, but the Bogart turned into Lupin's fear and he did not want to let it go further than that. I'm sure that it's not just Hermione, but a bunch of people did not get a chance to face their fears.
0: I guess. I mean, in the movies, a lot of people don't get to do it.
1: But Ron's guess... Of what the Bogart would turn into for Hermione is just so spot on.
0: Yes, it's super funny and spot on. And this is a spoiler for later on in the series, but it's actually very accurate. (laughs) Yeah, it actually happens. And that actually brings us to the end of this particular chapter. I'm really excited that Harry finally gets a competent teacher other than McGonagall. Yeah. And Flitwick and Sprout. Like one out of three. Snape is competent,
1: but cruel. Yes. But this is like the most memorable class scene.
0: I think the only other
1: scene that can come close is Wingardium Leviosa.
0: Yes. I also think that the first defense against the Dark Arts class in book 5 is very memorable, but for all the wrong reasons. Mm, yeah. So that brings us to the end of chapter 7. And we begin chapter 8, Flight of the Fat Lady. The Flight of the Fat Lady begins with the description of the next couple of weeks where we find out that Lupin has won the class respect for good because he shows them interesting monster after interesting monster this is in stark contrast to hagrid who's making them feed flobberworms like you don't even need to read a description of flobberworms not that there is a description in the books for us to know it's boring just like the description of ron saying like why do we even bother keeping them alive and shoving like lettuce down their slimy throats is enough for us to know that proper worms, no.
1: Hagrid just started off way higher in the danger scale. But Lupin is just keeping it really safe and really somewhere in the Lupin middle. I think Lupin
0: also knows how to deal with his class and with the dark creature that he brings to the class. He brings only one at a time, from what I understand. When Harry is in Lupin's office, he has one grindlow He doesn't have like five Grindelows, he just has one.
1: <laughs> no, I think it's just because Lupin procures these creatures... To show the class But Hagrid just has these creatures Wandering around in the forest And he takes care of them And he's close to them Fair enough But
0: you can still bring only one
1: (laughs) I like that in the beginning of this chapter We get a status update For where each class is And what each teacher is doing (laughs) It's hilarious that Professor Trelawney's eyes Fill with tears Every time she looks at Harry (laughs) Yes Yes It's time to talk about Quidditch because the first match of the season is about to begin and they are going to start training for it. And it's Oliver Wood's last year in Hogwarts and he really wants to win the Quidditch Cup. And it's very unfortunate that he did not win it for the past two years when he had the best team in the school. Wood's speech, which is very like inspiring for everybody there. More than inspiring, it's just he's so dejected that even Fred and George looked sympathetic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That guy just had the worst luck. He assembled the best team ever. And first time, he was thwarted by Voldemort himself. And second time, also he was thwarted by Voldemort in a way. Voldemort's memory.
0: So, I have a question. Uh, Wood says that Harry is a seeker who's never lost them a match. Yeah. But in the first book, Harry doesn't show up at all. They lose the match because of him.
1: (laughs) If Harry doesn't show up, the team would play with a substitute. And in that case, the substitute was the person who lost them the match.
0: So I guess he means that when Harry does show up to matches, he has never lost. (laughs) Okay.
1: So, Harry gets back to Quidditch and he starts practicing for his first match and this time he's determined to get the cup. And on the other side, Hermione and Ron are facing troubles because of their pets. Since when is Ron so attached to Scabbers?
0: Ron is not really attached to Scabbers, but I think it does bother him that Crookshanks is so obsessed with Scabbers. And Hermione is not doing anything about it. Yeah, that too. And that Hermione is just like, oh, he's just a cat in his nature. Like, no, that's your pet. Discipline it. That's a fair ask. Yeah, it's a fair ask that Scabbers enjoy like his peace and quiet. He was just in Ron's bag. This is another example of an animal acting surprisingly intelligently because Ron mentions that Scabbers is in his bag and Crookshanks understands that. Or at least it feels like Crookshanks understands that. Even though Hermione gives the more mundane explanation of, you know, he probably smelled Scabbers. It really does feel like at that moment, Krukshanks had understood what Ron said. Another thing to keep in mind while reading the book. Yeah. I also think that the Krukshanks depicted in the illustrated edition is such a good looking guy. <laughs> but Krukshanks is not supposed to be good looking. He's supposed to have a squashed face. But the squashed face actually kind of works for the Krukshanks in the book, in the illustrated edition.
1: And I like that their argument starts there, but it only intensifies as time goes on because of... Many things, one of which is Hermione's flippant attitude towards Lavender's pet. I mean, it's not really her expression of what she feels about the pet, but still the way she dismissively talks about how the death of the pet doesn't mean anything is very inconsiderate.
0: I mean, there are a couple of things at play here. So Hermione is not really talking about the pet per se, but more like addressing the fact that Lavender's belief in Professor Trelawney is mistaken. But to everybody else there, it's clear that Lavender is more shaken up about the pit (laughs) rather than elated that Professor Trelawney was right. Which makes Hermione just come across as a very inconsiderate person. Like she might be looking at it logically, but she doesn't have any empathy in that situation at all.
1: And Ron is right in pointing out that Hermione doesn't care about other people's pets then.
0: Yeah, she really doesn't. We know that she
1: cares. It's just that at that point she let logic take over.
0: I think she was more concerned with just putting down Professor Trelawney rather than being empathetic. It's an incredible
1: coincidence that Professor Trelawney says whatever Lavender is afraid of will happen on 16th of October. She does receive the news of the pet dying on 16th of October. It's like at this point, J.K. Rowling does want us to think that maybe there is something to Trelawney.
0: Yeah, and things just get worse in their transfiguration class. Because Ron eggs Harry into talking to McGonagall
1: about his form. About the Hogsmeade form which he did not get signed by Uncle Vernon.
0: I can't believe it didn't even occur to Harry to forge the signature on the form.
1: I think we discussed this a while ago. Harry does not do any small petty mistakes that other children do. Yeah. He wants to do the big ones.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Even though I think McGonagall is very sympathetic, I'm sure she remembers what the Dursleys are like from her time staking their house. Yeah. Rules are rules yeah. and McGonagall can't let Harry go to Hogsmeade without a farm.
1: And moreover, it's better for Harry to stay put right now when Sirius Black is out and about. But I was surprised that after McGonagall turns Harry down saying that rules are rules and she cannot let him go to Hogsmeade, Ron starts calling McGonagall a lot of names. Yeah, I know. That sounds very wrong to me. Because it is wrong. I know that they are children and sometimes we hate the teachers.
0: But McGonagall should be above all that. I agree. I've never had the impression that Ron is very taken with McGonagall. He's not taken with any teacher. I know. Whereas Harry respects McGonagall and Hermione is fond of McGonagall, Ron is similarly not taken with her.
1: Yeah. But I like that Harry for once is facing a very normal teenager problem. He wants to go somewhere, but he can't. And he's feeling left out. (laughs) What was really funny was Percy's words of comfort because they were not words of comfort at all.
2: They make a fuss about Hogsmeade, but I assure you, Harry, it's not all it's cracked up to be. All right, the sweet shop's rather good, but Zonko's joke shop's frankly dangerous. And yes, the shrieking shack's always worth a visit. But really, Harry, apart from that, you're not missing anything.
0: I know Percy's such an ass. Poor Harry has to be left behind. Good thing is, when everybody else is at Hogsmeade, Harry and Lupin get to talk. Yes. And I really like the conversation that they have. Yeah. Because I think that it shows great initiative on Harry's part. Like he actually opens up and he asks Lupin about why he didn't let him face the bogart. And Lupin also takes his question seriously and answers him like an adult. Yeah. This is in contrast to other teachers like say Professor McGonagall for instance who treats Harry like a child. This might be because she has literally been teaching Harry from when he was 11. Whereas Lupin treats Harry as an adult. And answers his question with like perfect seriousness. Yeah.
1: And I like that both of them first think that it might turn into Lord Voldemort. But what is Lord Voldemort right now? Like what shape can the Bogart take? Should it take the form of the Voldemort that Harry saw in the Chamber of Secrets? Or should it take the form of Voldemort that Harry saw near the Mirror of Erised? Or should it take the form that happened in the past when he attacked Harry for the first time?
0: I think... That is such a great question. Because the answer to that will show us what Harry fears most of all. Because the Voldemort in the first book is the present Voldemort. And the Voldemort in the second book is a memory of what was in the past.
1: Past in the sense that it was even before he attacked Harry. But clearly, that's not the top thing that scares Harry. It's the Dementors. And it's not just the Dementors. It's the fact that a Dementor could affect him so much.
0: I also think that Dementors scare Harry more than Voldemort at this particular moment because Harry survived all of those encounters with Voldemort and yeah. he is yeah. definitely the victor in all of those encounters. In the last two encounters he didn't sustain any serious loss either. Yeah,
1: He did not faint. So basically he was conscious during all his encounters with Voldemort. But with the Dementors he was completely
0: incapacitated.
1: Yeah, correct. I understand that that's why Lupin says that the thing that scares you the most is fear itself.
0: I actually didn't understand that. Because how does the Dementor suggest that Harry fears fear most of all? I mean, doesn't that mean that Harry fears unhappiness? Like if Harry feared a Bogart, hmm. Harry fears fear. No, I was thinking the same thing. But just
1: as I was talking to you, I understood this. So Harry is not afraid of the unhappiness that Dementor brings because he's not even aware if that's the normal reaction every time that you see a dementor you you don't know about those details about a dementor yet but what harry fears the most is that he was incapacitated for the first time he was defeated by something and for the first time he is seen as a coward there were so many people who were able to sustain it so that is what scares him ah okay dementor is the first thing that has ever scared him and that scares him That makes sense.
2: I also like that Harry reacted with... Harry didn't know what to say to that, so he drank some more tea.
1: There are amazing Harry reactions in this scene. So when Snape walks in with the potion and Lupin drinks that potion, Harry wants to warn Lupin. But what comes out of his mouth is Professor Snape's very interested in the dark arts. Yes. (laughs) How subtle. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And I like that Lupin just does not give a damn. Yeah, I know. He does not even acknowledge him. (laughs) Hermione and Ron come back from Hogsmeade and they bring Harry a lot of sweets and they tell him that it is really as amazing as people describe and Harry should definitely come the next time.
0: Oh, there's one more thing I want to add about the time in Lupin's office, in the illustrated edition, there is a great two-page layout of a Grindelow. And it's titled Aquatic Wonders of Yorkshire, a wizard's field guide. It is such a nice two-page about a Grindelow. It has various fun facts about it. Nice. Them. It's just like
1: the troll thing, right? From the first book. Yes. So the Halloween feast is amazing. Ron and Hermione, who had a lot of sweets and butterbeer and hogsmead, can't help themselves from eating everything. And the Gryffindors All get back to the common room. Except there is a problem.
0: Is that where we're ending this?
1: No. (laughs) Percy is like, I'm the head boy. And he goes to investigate what's going on. And they find out that the the fat lady is missing from the portrait. And uh, her painting is almost destroyed. Mm -hmm. And we learn from Peeves of all people that it was destroyed by Sirius Black.
0: I know this is supposed to have great impact. But all I can really think of is that Peeves addresses Professor Dumbledore as Professor Head. (laughs) Yeah. And it's clear that Peeves really respects Dumbledore because he answers him properly. But he has no other way, right? Even then, it's an indicator that Peeves is there at Dumbledore's will. Peeves is aware that he has to be on Dumbledore's good side.
1: Yeah. For sure. But this thing really scared me when I read it for the first time because you just keep hearing about Sirius Black and you think that it's going to be till the end of the book until something this serious happens. But here you are, I don't know, 30% into the book and he's already tried to get into the common room to attack Harry.
0: Yeah. Also, this is the third Halloween that something goes wrong. First Halloween had the troll and the second Halloween, the Chamber of Secrets is opened. Oh, yeah. They
1: missed the Halloween feast to go to the Death Day party.
0: Yeah. We also know that Halloween is when James and Lily die. Oh shit. JK Rowling does not like Halloween. Or maybe it's just naturally so spooky that she wants to leverage it.
1: I guess. Very interesting observation. I didn't think of it at all. That brings us to the end of today's episode. You can check out our website at mimblewimble.in.
0: You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at mimblewimblepod. You can also follow Prashanthi and I on Twitter. She is underscore Empress. And I am ballet Underchin. See you in the next episode. Until then,
2: I'm dying! I'm dying! Look at me! It's killed me!